Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. In a world where action movies are constantly exploding at the box office, our heroes take on the monumental task of dissecting and analyzing all aspects of action movies to truly understand what it takes to make a great action film. Ben Bateman, Andrew Guy, in a Popcorn Talk Network exclusive, this is Action Movie Anatomy. Welcome to uh, Action Movie Anatomy on Popcorn Talk, the online broadcast network dedicated to movies. I'm your host, Ben Bateman. I'm joined today by my uh, excellent co-host, Andrew Guy, and uh, our special guest today, Matthew Haggerty, who uh, is uh, well-immersed in the movie industry, working as an AD on many, many huge blockbusters and, and awesome films, including most recently Jurassic World, right? That's coming yeah, out pretty soon. correct. We just wrapped awesome. up uh, last summer. Yeah, it's really, really awesome to have you here, so thank you for coming by. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so before we get started, I just wanted to remind everybody to please subscribe on YouTube to Popcorn Talk, as well as give us a great rating on iTunes. Uh, your comments, your feedback, anything like that, it really helps us raise the ratings so we can keep doing the show. So uh, this is the very first The Maiden Voyage of the Popcorn Talk Show Action Movie Anatomy which was a dedicated show to the best action movies of the 80s, 90s, and today. And uh, we are going to jump right into it. So today's movie, Air Force One, falls into a very specific set of rules that we use every week to establish which movies we can do on this show. So rule number one, the movie is 1981 or forward in its release date. Rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest guys or girls in the room. Rule number three, the hero always plays by their own rules. <laughs> rule number four, there's at least one explosion. And the fifth rule, of course, is that the movie is driven by a police officer, a military figure, or a political figure. If a movie hits four of those five rules, it flies. So let's get right into it. Air Force One, guys. 1997. Initial thoughts. What did you think? You know, I'll let Matt go first. He's our guest. Um, you know, I thought it was a fun popcorn movie. It's a summer tentpole. Um... And the, the good thing about this movie, it's 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 so patriotic that you you have to love it. Um, I just I see this as one of those movies where in the credits roll, you get the whole crowd in the theater just stands up and just start chanting like USA, right. USA. Uh, but it's a fun film, great actors, um, and and just a blast to kind of sit through and, and watch. Totally. I mean, I watched this movie when I think was 10 years old, like a year after it had come out, and I love this movie. I've loved this movie since I was a kid. I was so excited that we were going to do this for number one. And, you know, it starts off with, like, the classic thing that you want in 90s movies, which is red dot lasers, C4, silencers. <laughs> like, it had it, it had me going from the very beginning. And then, uh, of course, Gary Oldman, he just kills it. So I, I love this movie. I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah, the soundtracks for movies back then, it's like a thing where it was just exciting from the first frame. I remember I, I knew a guy that uh, had worked on The Rock, and he was like, Michael Bay told me, make this movie exciting from the first frame. So it's like, dun, 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 dun. You know what I mean? Yep. That's what all these movies are like. So this movie just has that backbone of patriotism and just amazing... Uh, what I think is hilarious about the soundtrack, and we talked about this a little bit, is that Randy Newman was originally scoring this movie. Oh, right, right, right. And he was told that his film, I mean, excuse me, that his score was too serious. And it was, it was almost like a joke. 
And so he got fired and he ended up using the music that he was going to do for Air Force One for Toy Story 3. Which is so bizarre. Which is like, like Toy Story 3, like Air Force One. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same genre. I think, could we say that Toy Story 3 is the Air Force One of today? I, I think that's I think that's correct. I think that's right on. I think that's right on. Anyway, I love this movie. I, it's kind of like a like from a bygone time where, you know, it was like uh, you place a guy in a situation and he has to get out of it sort of thing. You know, Die Hard, movies like that. And, uh, and you would hire the best of the best of the best to lead these movies. These ridiculous sort of, um, where the villain was this like faceless evil, right? Just a generic sort of right. villain. Yep. And you'd hire, you know, Han Solo to play the main character and Gary Oldman, like amazing dramatic actor of the time to be the bad guy. It's like, you don't really get to see that so much anymore out of these throwaway action movies. Uh, this obviously wasn't throw at the time because it was an, an enormous blockbuster. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I, I love this movie. I, I definitely have loved it since the first time I saw it. It's always it's well known for "Get Off My Plane." You know, it's the most famous line. Get off my plane. Are you sounding like Kingpin from Daredevil? I don't know. I've been watching too much Daredevil. <laughs> Get off my plane. <laughs> that's what she sounded like. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, I think that kind of uh, t- takes care of the initial thoughts on the movie. So let's get right into uh, star profiles. So I want to talk about, first of all, where Harrison Ford and Gary Oldman, who play respectively the villain and the hero, were in their careers at the time of release. So this is 1997, right? We're just, we're right dead center in the middle of huge, big budget, Jerry Bruckheimer action movies. And, you know, you make this movie with the expectation that it's going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. That's why you spend the money you do. And you're bankrolling it on these two guys. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford, who obviously at that point was very well known for Indiana Jones and for the uh, the Star Wars franchise and... His uh, s- several of his most recent films at the time of release were Sabrina, nineteen ninety five, love it, very entertaining, yeah. very action oriented, yeah, <laughs> Clear and Present Danger, and The Fugitive. So the Jack Ryan series, Clear and Present Danger, along with Patriot Games, was very very successful. The nineties was all about that Tom Clancy stuff, right? And uh, and then The Fugitive, obviously, which was nominated for an Academy Award and right right is one of the most famous sort of action thrillers of all time. Uh, so I mean, what do you guys think about the Harrison Ford's nineties sort of? Um, you know, it, you know, as him as the fugitive, like the lead in the fugitive in, in Air Force One, it's like he's just kind of like the average guy, you know? But right. he's this action superhero that, that somehow gets out of these crazy situations and, you know, he ends up beating a Russian terrorist and the fugitive he ends up proving that he's innocent. And he's just a normal guy. And he just kind of looks like that. You know right. what I mean? So I just think it's cool. Like what you're saying is you just put this guy in any situation and he can get out of it. And... I don't know. I just like watching him in Air Force One. He's just fine. He's just like, anyone could do it. I could do that. Well, it speaks to the whole, one of the rules, right? He's always the smartest guy in the room. That's like, that's such an important quality to these guys. When you're putting a man who's in his 50s in a suit and he's supposed to fight, like, actually, like, savage punch guys in the face to get out of situations. He's, you know, and it's not martial arts fighting. No, it's 90s fighting. Yeah, it's just like heavy-handed punches. That's it. I'm going to punch you. You're going to punch me. That's how it's going to work. There's no there's no elbows and knees. There's, there's no, no martial arts. There's nothing to it. No yeah. training. No. It's like the Bourne movies hadn't come out yet. That style of like, we're going to have this incredibly well choreographed, like, knife, duck, swing, kick, right. sweep. It's like, he's like, I explode around a corner and punch you in the face. It's like two kids in the schoolyard. They're just yeah. rolling around and punching each other and, and, and choking each other out. Yeah, a terrorist is like, the, the, the gun goes to the ground, the terrorist like reaches for it, he like kicks it, then he like punches him in the face again. <laughs> you know, that's like how these movies worked, and you totally bought it. You're like, this is great, the president is a fighter. Right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's interesting to see, because he was... I mean, Harrison Ford, what, the new Star Wars trailer just came out. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's such an icon, and then you know, he plays the president so well just because he's so iconic. I think 
you know, most people just easily picture him as a president. I, I think a lot of people would probably vote for him if he actually ran. <laughs> He's an intimidating he guy. Like the Schwarzenegger of the, the you know, whole United States. Yeah. Yeah, and you know the thing, and and... I really like his speech in the beginning. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, this guy is a president. Like, it's a, he's a believable president. He's passionate about his country. He plays by his own rules. He changes yeah. the speech up. Right. And, uh, yeah, he just, he's, he just he lands that role, you know? A hundred percent. I mean, the, oh, yeah. the speech which finishes with, it's your turn to be afraid. Right? That's right. like, he's, I mean, he's, that's one of the things we talk about with this genre is like, you hired... I mean, Harrison Ford's a great actor. In, yeah. in the roles that he's great, he's been iconic, not just as like an action guy, not like a Schwarzenegger. He's like a true Oscar-worthy actor. So you put him in a situation where he's delivering a speech like that, it's very believable. It's a great it's a great dramatic moment in the middle in the context of a movie that is like, you know, driven by American flag music, essentially. Right. Um, so I, I do think that's really interesting is he's ultimately believable not as, not only as a hero, but also as like a great performance, like, you know. Yeah, and he's an everyday guy. He's not he's not like a Schwarzenegger or Stallone where he's just jacked up and muscular. Or, right, yeah. You or, rip you off Harrison Ford's shirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So so he was, at that point in his career, he was beyond an icon already at that point. Uh, now, Gary Oldman, on the other hand, he was coming off of like a pretty badass string of movies. That same, uh, within, within, I think, a couple years, he had done The Fifth Element, mm-hmm. he had done Leon the Professional, and he had done True Romance. So that's a, like... <laughs> You compare it to, in terms of, like, uh, critical review, the first three that we mentioned, the Harrison Ford movies versus Oldman, you can see where they were. Oldman was, like, making his mark. I'm in, I'm going to be in great movies that are well-reviewed. Fifth Element, Professional, and True Romance are all movies that were, I think, probably, like, top 20 of the year in terms of critical review. And he's such a good bad guy. Amazing. He is incredibly believable, and that's that's what what makes him in this movie so great, is there's, he, he takes himself completely seriously. 100%. And his acting is phenomenal. It's completely on point. And, and we talked about this is that Leon the Professional is kind of this guy that's just, he's complete, a loose cannon. He's just crazy. Yeah. And this role is kind of that dialed down a little bit, a little more calculated, a little more, you know, a little more thought still to it. Totally yeah. Still totally crazy. Still completely insane. Yeah. He's still crazy, but he comes off as not like over the top. Right. Um, and I compare him to an old, uh, old movie, the original taking of Pelham 123. I don't know yeah. if you guys have seen that. Yep. With yep. Robert Shaw, very clinical, very direct. Um, he was holding a, a train hostage. Totally different movie, but. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole time he would just talk to the cops, hang up the phone, and then go back to his crossword puzzle, kill somebody, yeah. take hostages, go back to his crossword puzzle. And I kind of thought Gary Oldman was kind of like that. He was very direct. He was crazy. And was great, but at yeah. the same time, it was very clinical and had a, had a direct motive, and just followed that. And I thought that was that was really awesome. If you had a an actor, I think of less quality playing this role, I don't know that this movie would be quite as good. No, I think I think he really, when you think about what makes this movie what it is, I think it's the fact that he is a terrifying and awesome villain. Harrison Ford's really good, but like he's. He's a special villain. Oh, yeah. He totally steals in, the show. In a pantheon of, of, like, ridiculous 80s, 90s action movies. Ridiculous. I'll use that word loosely. We'll explain our criteria later. Right. But uh, in, the, in that pantheon, I do think that he's a pretty special villain. Uh, very, very, very memorable. And just a great actor. Like, they talked about him on set all the time. As he would go, he would literally, on the drop of a dime, yeah. just be a psychopath. And then he would just joke around, like, one second later. Yeah, Wolfgang Peterson said he was hilarious. Yeah, like, absolutely. He was, like, the coolest guy He's, like, set. the funniest guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love Gary Oldman. I've always been a huge fan. So that's uh, that's kind of a, the star breakdown. Let's let's get next into production and development on this movie. Um, so this was this was kind of the brainchild of a number of pretty ridiculously enormous uh, producers and writers, executive producers. I mean, people that worked on everything from the Shawshank Redemption to Star Wars prior to this. Uh 
I think it was seven guys between regular producers and executive producers that were in charge of the movie that later went on to film pretty big production company together. Yeah, they uh, they formed a production company, I think, in like 2001 or something like that. Yeah, I think we have the name of it here, right? Strike Entertainment, yeah. uh, which did, you know, Rundown, Children of Men, Dawn of the Dead. So big budget movies. These guys were behind some pretty big stuff. Um, now, I know this movie was, was rumored to have cast Mel Gibson originally. I believe I did hear that, yeah. Yeah, and, and obviously they went for Harrison Ford in the end. They didn't want to pay Mel Gibson uh, what he was asking to make the film. And it's good that they cast Harrison Ford because uh, he was the one that got them to use Air Force One. Because originally they were not oh, going to yeah. let them use Air Force One, but after a quick call from Harrison Ford to the president, right. it was like, oh yeah, no, no, you're Harrison Ford? You want to use... Oh, sure. Yeah, go ahead, man. Well, it's a testament to how secure, though, even... like So, so Harrison Ford calls Bill Clinton... And he says, "Hey, I want to do this movie. I'm attached now. I'm Han Solo. Can I do? Can we, you know, get a tour of Air Force One for production design and everything?" And they got to go and look at like 85 percent of it, but there was still about 15 percent of the plane that they wouldn't show to uh, Harrison Ford, the production designer whose name is uh, I have it written down here, and it's escaping me. So I'm not going to look for it. Uh, the production designer, Harrison Ford, and I believe Gary Oldman went... Uh, Peterson. Peterson was the other guy. Right. And they went to look at it, and they wouldn't show him the entire layout. They showed him up to basically 85%, just for the sake of national security. It doesn't matter. If you're making a movie about it, it doesn't matter Harrison Ford. There are still some things we can't have you take pictures of. They actually had to build the set, which was modeled in a lot of ways for Peterson. He said after his set from Das Boot, which was a boat, obviously, 1981, that's where he sort of gained his prominence right. as a director. And he he tried to make the three levels of the airplane feel very different. So he wanted the top level to feel very sort of uh, like sterile and blue and blue light and everything because it's you know it's the brain right. Yeah. It's like the and he wanted the middle level to be very like soothing and calming with beige tones, gray things like that. And then the bottom, the the basement, which is incredibly well lit actually, it turns out yeah, very well to, lit. <laughs> to feel a bit like a submarine. So he drew a lot of inspiration from that from his production design on the boat. Uh, but they to build the whole three sets, the three levels, they really mostly had to go off of pictures uh, for a lot of those, you know, the stuff that they weren't allowed to see. They had to go off of newspaper clippings and, and press clippings and whatnot to build the boat. Build that plane. The plane. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the way that the, the set is laid out. Like, you definitely get that feel. Like, the brain is up top, and the middle is kind of like where all the action goes on for yeah. the most part. And then the basement, the bottom of the plane is just grimy. That's where he's down there, like, cutting wires, doing this and that, fighting yeah. people. So, it's cool. I like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool place that Peterson was in his career as well, right? Because he had gotten famous in 81 from Das Boot. Mm-hmm. And then he had a few kind of American movies that he made that were sort of flops before he, he hit it big with, uh, I believe, In the Line of Fire was the first big one, followed by Outbreak, which is awesome. Right. I love Outbreak to yeah. death. And then this movie, and then he did The Perfect Storm right after this. So he's kind of tailed off because he, he did he do Never Ending Story. He did yeah, Never Ending Story. Yeah. yeah, that was like uh, it was right in the middle of it. Sore, and that, obviously that's a cult classic. Yeah. And then he kind of dropped off. He did Troy later on, which I love Troy, I, and I know a lot of people don't. I think we all remember Troy for one reason: Brad Pitt is jacked out of his mind. He's incredible. It's the only thing anybody ever talks about. <laughs> we are lions. <laughs> yeah. it's like my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> he's got his signature move where he just yeah, right. yeah. Brad Pitt. Could Brad Pitt play? Could he, could Brad Pitt play uh, the president? I, I think he'd play Ivan. I think he'd be good as Ivan. Now, interesting. Yeah. You think so? He could oh, get yeah. away with a villain. He could get away with a lot. If you've seen him in uh, Twelve Monkeys, Twelve Monkeys, he's oh, pretty he's, crazy. He's pretty versatile. I mean, he's known as like a pretty boy actor, but right. I think he's. I think he'd be great as. So Ivan. you got chops. You wouldn't believe him as the president. Still too young. Too young. Too young and too pretty. Too young seeming, maybe. Yeah, too young seeming because he is old enough to be he's a like president. Over fifty now, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so th- this principal photography began, I think, in Ohio for this movie. They shot in Ohio, Washington, D.C. It's actually, uh, in, in the movie, the, pres- the, the uh, prison where Raddick mm-hmm. is freed from, a sweet, sweet, sweet villain character that never says a word. <laughs> which is just, just like, like smiles. Tough just, job. Yeah, that's, a, that's amazing. Like, who would you cast as that character now? But uh, that's the same prison as Shawshank Redemption. Okay. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, it's not a cool piece of trivia. I mean, they were only filmed a few years apart, but... That's in uh, Ohio, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, Ohio, Washington, D.C., uh, and then the 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 famous scene, the airplane. I'm trying to remember where that was filmed. It was in uh, Rammstein, right? Germany? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did a little bit in L.A., I think, as well. Right, 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 right. Um, so, so yeah, so this movie, 1997, I'm going to let you take this one away, Andrew, because I know you uh, kind of did the research on this. Right, right. Box office and critical. This is actually, to me, one of the most interesting parts of the, the whole story. Uh, looking at, yeah, take it away, Okay, please. well, so the first thing I want to talk about is this movie opened number one. It's, it's you know, it's opening weekend. But the movies that were also in theaters were just incredible. Like, if I was a kid at that time, yeah. I would have gotten a huge thing of popcorn. I would have snuck into every single movie and been in that theater for, like, 12 hours. There was Hercules, uh, Good Burger, Contact. <laughs> Good uh, Burger opened right that there. weekend. <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> yeah, do I really need to say more? No. Uh, Men in Black, Liar, Liar, Batman and Robin, Con Air, Face Off. My Jeez. Be- like, are you kidding me? Connor, Face Off, and Air Force One in the theaters at the same well, time, and then in Black and Jurassic Park Two. Jeez, like this is this is incredible. Like these are some of the greatest movies of our generation. They're all in theaters at the a same time. A literal murderer's row. <laughs> uh, no, so so okay. So that's 1997. Now, right. 20 years later, the same weekend. Okay, so it opened. Um, it made 37 million dollars its opening weekend okay. in 1997. And you go 20 years later, and I believe Lucy. Oh yeah, uh, with the Scarlett s- Johansson yeah. was the the winner that weekend. Um, and it opened making forty million. Now that movie though was like forty was pretty big, right? Because it only cost something like thirty nine to make. Or yeah, I think it, it pretty much like broke even on its opening weekend. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it ended up only grossing forty four million domestically, Absolutely. like total. So it was like it made money and just kind of completely dropped off. Uh, and Air Force One, it ended up making a total of like three hundred and fifteen million dollars worldwide. Holy moly! Ninety seven, wow. you know. So that's just a testament to Harrison Ford and Gary Oldman and the movie coming out like at the time it should be. Yeah, and the president and the president, the president yeah, right. fighting. Yeah, everyone wants to see that. Yeah, um, yeah, and I just like seeing that, seeing how much money that movie made. It, it's still even today, it's ranked the number one hostage and the number one terrorism movie. Really? Uh, on Box Office Mojo and the numbers. Yeah, so they, they still have it. It's still the number one grossing. Yeah, this is, well, Hagrid, you were talking to me about a little bit of this before, the sort of like dual release thing, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you always see studios that always have two competing movies that, that come out. You know, it's like Armageddon and, and Deep Impact. Right. Same, right. similar premise, right. different actors, different star power, but kind of like, hey, two comment movies. Or two, right. And then uh, another one was Volcano. Dante's, Dante's Peak, Dante's right? Peak. It's two Volcano movies. You know, and even recently was, uh, uh, what was it, Olympus Has Olympus Fallen, Fallen and, and White House uh, Down. White yeah. House Down. Yeah. Well, and near this one, uh, Kurt Russell, executive decision, right? Yeah, I mean, that came out in 96, I think March of 96, like the year before. Yeah. And then you were even saying Con Air, which is another yeah. plane jacking. Totally. That's true. Yeah. So, Same I mean, time. Similar movies always come out, and they all usually seem to do pretty well. So, you know, I think it's just that if you get a bankable idea right. that everybody's going to want to get a piece of the pie, and, and then, so it seems to work. They don't do it so much... Yeah, it's a little harder to do it now, but like, um, you know, like vampire movies, we kind of just went through something right. like that, and now we're kind of into like superhero movies. So yeah, those are more genres, than right? Like it's a genre. Um, 
But then, like, you know, people got on the natural disaster bandwagon, right. the terrorism bandwagon. So it, it is, it's, like, loosely related, you know. I mean, as an industry guy who, who works on this sort of stuff, you, you will hear about sometimes, like, oh, there's a hot property, so Studio A buys it. And then Studio B is like, we need to hire a guy to write X movie, right? It hasn't maybe happened as much as it used to, but that's, like, sort of how this stuff happens a lot. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that as much from what I do on set. But um, I, I did work on a film where our hero car was a, a SS Chevelle. Yeah. And... Our stunt coordinator went to go work on another movie, and the other movie that they were shooting, the hero car, was going to be an SS Chevelle. And uh, so once they once they heard that they were, we were already doing a movie with that, they had, I think they kind of had to change it up a little switch bit. Switch it up. So it wasn't exactly the same. Right. So, I mean, but it happens a lot. I mean, you know, people have the similar ideas, and if they're good ideas, they're going to get made. More, yeah. Probably more than once. Yeah, well, so uh, other movies that opened with Lucy, I believe, same July weekend in 2014, this year, Transformers 4, Mm -hmm. Maleficent, 22 Jump Street, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, How to Train Your Dragon 2, and of course, as you mentioned, Lucy, which was the big winner. Uh, In my opinion, and maybe this is just because it's not 1997, and I'm not a little kid anymore, because every single movie on the initial list, I was just all in, 100%. Right. Like, I would have gone and watched four in one day. Those movies... I mean, it's intriguing a little bit, but other than maybe, like, Dawn Planet of the Apes and 22 Jump Street, I don't really feel compelled to watch a lot of these movies. I don't know if that's just... I don't know why that is. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure part of it is, like, the fact that we grew up with these movies, and it's right. like when we see a classic, great action movie from the 90s, like, some some part of, like, that inner child in you just like, yes, this yeah. is what I love. But at the same time, like, I'm obsessed with movies. I love watching movies right. over and over and over. It doesn't matter when they came out. I've seen all those movies that came out this weekend of Air Force One, all like the top ten for me. I've seen yeah. them all over ten times. Yeah, definitely. I've definitely seen all of them, at least a couple. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. Maybe not Good Burger. But. <laughs> Let me finish. <laughs> uh, but then those, you know, the movies that came out with Lucy, Twenty Two Jump Street, Maleficent, Transformers Four, and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I think I've seen all of those movies one time. I've seen two of them. Yeah, you've you've only seen two of them. Yeah, right? I mean, like I said, I was I saw Twenty Two Jump Street in theaters. I saw Dawn in theaters. I think I watched Transformers Four on an airplane. Let me just say that I was dragged to Maleficent by my sisters and their children, okay? I swear. It. Was it a, a worthwhile decision, or should you have jumped from a moving car to avoid it? I sh- I'd take the latter on that one. <laughs> so, uh, so Air Force One is a rare movie in the category because it actually received two Oscar nominations. Now, they were both in technical categories. But, I mean, how many movies can you think of in this genre? We mentioned The Fugitive, which mm-hmm. is obviously kind of... That's like cream of the crop. It's like pretty high up in, in action movie lore. And that was also based on a on an old serial, an old TV a TV show. Fugitive that was, yeah, that was hugely that. successful, and it was based on that. So I mean, it had you know, so that kind of has a fan base that already built in, which is good because it actually has the older demographic. So right. Those people are going to go watch it, and then it appeals to the rest of the demographic, the, the younger audience, the you know, the middle aged audience as well. Sure, sure. Um, so I want to talk about one scene, and I alluded to this already a little bit. It's now it's the scene that takes place in at Ramstein Air Base, Air, uh, Ramstein Airport, where the terrorists have taken over the airplane. Uh, Gary Oldman with this gun, being like, <laughs> saying like inaudible things, yeah, re- yelling in an audible Russian, quote. yeah, it's amazing, <laughs> and just shooting people, and uh, and then obviously where you know where's my family? I'm not leaving without my family. Right. Uh, so they they lock Harrison the Harrison Ford up in the escape pod. Or you, and so you think they so? Didn't do a very good think. job of locking them <laughs> yeah. in there, and like just like Marines and, and like uh, Secret Service men just getting shot, falling right. over. There's like one guy left. Uh, it's actually uh, Landry's dad from uh, Friday Night Lights. I think is the last guy that's left. Oh really? But uh, anyway, so uh, they the, the, Gary Oldman like gets into the cockpit after like shooting the door off, and this is also by the way just like crazy if you think about uh, airport security, airplane security, 
And this is Air Force One. So this is 1997, obviously a few years before 9-11. We're kind of in a different world now in, in terms of perception. And we can talk about that in a minute, just how an audience maybe would perceive this movie now versus then. But they get inside the cockpit. Gary Oldman, like, again, says some awesomely just intense things about landing this plane and cursing. He then shoots the both pilots? He shoots the, the, the main captain first. Yeah. And he says to the co-pilot, land this plane, and he won't do it. So then he shoots him in the back. Yep. Pulls him out. And here's where we get to the scene, like the, the movie's quintessential scene. You have an airplane go, coming down. It's like 30. I looked at the script. And this is only about two pages in the entire script. This whole scene. The whole scene. Okay. Maybe two and a half pages. And it's like 40 seconds, 30 seconds, 20, land, plane like hits down on the ground, lifts back up. Back on the ground again, swerves around, clips a tree. Trees, explode. <laughs> multiple trees. <laughs> then pulls up and actually takes off over another plane without actually entirely landing. Right. One of the more absurd scenes, this is like the, like, I think we talk about this sometimes, right? It's the first complete suspension of disbelief scene in a movie, in an action movie, where you're like, that is beyond preposterous. There's not even a little bit of a chance that could ever happen in real life. But it's awesome. Right. But well, and, and, you know, the cool thing about this scene, which it, when you watch it in 97, it, you, just, you just believe it. It 100%. looks great. CG looks excellent. Every, there's nothing to complain Phenomenal. about. Phenomenal, yeah. You watch it 20 years later, you're like, that whole thing is fake. You're like, it's is all the, a computer. Is the tree CGI? Is the wing CGI? Right. Are like, they what, both is CGI? Is the whole thing just on a, But then you go through and you read the notes. Yeah. And you find out that they actually shot like 90% of this scene with yeah. a real plane. It's crazy. Which is absolutely unbelievable. And I, I was reading that they um, they were breaking and taxing the, the, the tires so much that airplanes have, um, or I don't know if it's Air Force One or all planes in general, the tires just automatically deflate when they get too hot so they don't blow out. So they, they oh. had these issues with the plane because they were actually doing this scene and, and moving this plane around and trying to like land, take off, land, take off. They, they had to stop production for a day because the, ty- the, airs, the tires were just done. It's not, just a standard. Right. It's a standard 747 they repainted for the movie. Um, so, but so it must just be standards. Seven forty seven at the time had that function. Uh, yeah, they, so they filmed this at half speed, right? That's yeah. that's the premise was that they they shot it a bunch of times. They could only film for a limited amount of time per day. Like yeah, it was fifteen oh, minutes sorry. a day. Or? Yeah, yeah, it was fifteen minutes a day, I think. And it was at uh, it was at dusk and dawn, and it was so they could get the right lighting of making it look like nighttime, but still getting a little bit of skylight through. Right, that's pretty insane when you think about that. That you're piloting an airplane. You're like piloting an airplane, driving it like a car, swinging it through a tree, uh, and then it definitely does not take off over another airplane. Yes, <laughs> that did not happen. No. But it looks like it's a perspective shot in the movie, right? It looks like the airplane that it's supposed to take off over is maybe kind of in the background, or yeah. I mean, I think it's supposed to give the illusion in the movie that they're, they're it's taking off like right over it, right? But when you look closely, I think you can see that the actual plane's probably like a few hundred yards behind it or something there, like there that. There may have been some CG involved in that yeah. one. In the production notes, Peterson says that this is the most difficult scene he's ever had to film in a movie. And this is a guy that shot Poseidon and Troy. I mean, pretty well, big I mean, budget stuff. Logistically, yeah. it's just, you know, you're, you're constrained by time. You're using equipment that's, you know, a huge, huge plane with people on the runway. So, you know, the hardest part is, I think, the time factor. Because, you know, if one thing goes wrong, your 15 minutes are gone and you're done for the day. Right. You had to wait 12 hours till the sun comes up or sun goes back down to shoot again. So I think the most important thing, 
uh, when when you're doing sequences like this, you know, from from my experience, is, is just prep and prep and plan and plan. So you have everything ready. You, you have seven cameras out. You know, you know exactly where that plane's going to go to, like the foot. You know, it's going to turn on a dime right here. And right. So you just really, really have to plan. And it's actually more fun to shoot stuff that way because uh, everybody, it's 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 very tense. It's like you're at the starting line. Right. It's like a dance, like a choreographed dance. Oh, yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. And then you have no time to shoot it. And it's it's more fun that way. And I'm glad that they shot it uh, practically as opposed to just... Well, back then it was hard to make everything CG. But I think the better movies these days... Um are, are films that are shot practically and then right. augmented with the uh, with the visual effects. Um, I know you know Chris Nolan does that a lot. He shoots as much practical as he can, um, and then I think even some of the Marvel superhero films, they tend to try to shoot them as much practical. I know that's kind of hard to believe since there's guys flying around and there's giant green monsters, but they do try to. I think the good films like that they do shoot practically, and it, and it's more fun for filmmakers, and I think it's more fun for crew. Oh yeah, translates. We're not just shooting stuff against green screen the whole time. Yeah. And that's the problem with like people can argue with like the the uh, the new trilogy Star Wars. Right. Is it's all digital, and it just takes you out of the environment. But when you have that realism, it's just you really it engages you more, and you lose that suspension of uh, you have that suspension of disbelief. Right, right, right. What do you think uh, in your career as an AD has been the most difficult scene to film? Um. I would I would probably say in my limited career uh, was probably the uh, the latest born film with uh, with Jeremy Renner. Okay. Um, we we shot. I worked on a second unit. We were shooting in Manila, Philippines, and we were shooting the final sequence. Um, the is, the bike chase, right? The bike chase with him running on the rooftops, leading to the bike chase. Last four or five minutes of the film, and it's shot like a music video, quick takes, uh, quick cuts, um, and we. We prepped. I was there for at least a month prepping. Um, I know some guys were there probably like six months prepping just for that shoot. Just and for that one scene. Just for that one scene. Wow. Um, and we, it took us probably, I think it was around like 26 days to shoot five, you think, five minutes worth of footage that right. ends up in the film. Um, and it was pretty intense. You know, and every day, you know, every day was just full, 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 go, go, go. Um, it wasn't like 50, we only had 15 minutes. Right. You could it shoot was for hours. Sun up to sundown every single day, which means, you know, I was there four hours before sun up and then there an hour after after right. the sun went down so and it was pretty intense but I think it came off really well and I think it's it's more fun to shoot stuff like that as opposed to just plop guys in, the, in a stage in front of a green screen so let me ask you this I know you just did a bunch of work on Revenant the newest movie mm-hmm. with uh, DiCaprio and Tom Hardy that's coming out and that's directed by Birdman director uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Sanarito is that his name yes so that's he's all about like one sh- like single takes right? right and and fluid shots as opposed to fast cuts. How would you compare to experiences like that? Both kind of action stuff, but um, I can't really talk about Revenant too much. But right. definitely, they both have what they both have in common is it's all planning, it's all prep, it's all it's it's there. So when you show up on a day, you control every single element, and as soon as you lose one or two elements, you know it adds five minutes, ten minutes here when you're trying to shoot at something like Magic Hour and yeah. Force One. You know that can kind of screw you over for the whole shoot. So it's all about the prep and the planning and the rehearsals. So everybody's on the same page. So I think any any good action sequence is going to be rehearsed and, and planned down to a T. Speaking of good action sequences, why don't we get into our favorite scenes from Air Force One? Okay. I know. I know. I know. We all have our favorite scenes, favorite lines that we've prepared separately. So uh, I'm going to start with you, Hags. What's uh, what's your favorite scene in the movie? Um, I kind of go with. It's almost like a single shot. But okay. uh, it's at the very end of the film where uh, Gibbs, who's kind of like the the weasel henchman, are we allowed? Yeah, are we allowed to swear out here? He's the uh, well, uh, uh, we won't do it. He's a weasel. He's we'll the weasel. Weasel. Yeah. Yeah. weasel for, for lack of a, a more severe term. Um, 
And Harrison Ford has just gotten off the plane, and now he's stuck there. Plane's about to go in the water, and it's a shot of him and the door open. Like, no! And he's just like, oh, crap, what did I do with my life? And it's great because the whole movie is building up. He, you, you find out he's this bad guy. Right. And the whole movie, he's hiding in the shadows, and he's pretending to be one of the good guys. And you're like, I can't wait for this guy to finally get his comeuppance. And the very, towards almost one of the last uh, frames of the movie... He, he crashes into the ocean, and it's just this cool shot. He's just totally distraught. Like, oh, crap. What I love about that scene is, is that, you're right, is when he's going down, he's like, oh, no. But then at the very end, he go, he just kind of, like, <laughs> yeah. like starts to yeah. cry. You're like, yes, you little weasel. Like, this is what I want to see is you die and cry at the same yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. What, so, Drew, what's, what, what, what do you got? Favorite, favorite scene? All right, so this <laughs> comes back to me being a kid. Uh, my favorite scene, it starts when Gibbs, this guy that we are right. just talking about, it's when he first shows that he's the weasel. And he goes and he's like, oh, here's the reports on blah, blah, blah. And he pulls out a silenced gun. Yeah. Of course. 90s. 90s. And, you know, we're on a plane. Uh, and he kills the three Secret Service agents. And then it begins the takeover of uh, the plane. And then he buttons his jacket. Yeah, he buttons up his jacket. He walks <laughs> out and he just kind of smiles and casually walks away. Yeah. And then it just ensued Gary Oldman screaming and shooting people. Amazing. Which, how can you not love that? Unbelievable. Uh, I would have to say my favorite scene in the movie is the it's, it's, it's like the moment when the pod lands and they, they're like, oh, you know, clear it out. The president's inside the escape pod. And they open the pod and he's not there. He's not there. And they're like, oh. and then it's like they go they go back to the, the plane and he like climbs out. And you're like, oh, it's about to get real. It's so good right now. Right. And this is like this is tagged on to it happens like shortly thereafter once they figure out that he, in fact, is not in the pod and he's probably still on the plane. And this is one of my favorite things that happens in like all action movies from this era. There's a hero qualifier and a villain qualifier. What that means is it's a bunch of like usually dickhead sits like standing around in suits with like medals on, like an absurd yeah. amount of yeah, yeah, insignia. Yeah. Like they're yeah. leaning to one side. It's and, the and they're like, <laughs> yeah. they're, it's like the president is on board, and he's like, the guy's like, let's not forget the president is a medal of honor winner. He flew more helicopter missions in Vietnam than anybody under my command. He knows how to fight. And you're like, oh, you're like, this is gonna be great. Oh, great, a medal of honor winner is on the plane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like when they're talking about a villain, they'll say something like. He spent 17 years in a Serbian prison, six of them in solitary. He knows how to win, or something like that. Right. And this one, it's like, he's a radical ferratic. <laughs> yeah. like, this is the line. <laughs> Nothing more you need to say. Like, <laughs> so that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Um, so, favorite lines, what do you got? Um, mine's a very simple one. Just going with that theme of the whole movie is just ultra patriotic, including the score, which is basically, right. it feels like the national anthem just kind of leaked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, was, um, so. Harrison Ford, the president, he's trying to he's trying to he's trying to leak fuel out of the plane to get them to force yeah, them to right. land. And so he's on the phone with the ground. He's got a circa nineteen ninety seven cell phone that obviously doesn't work very well, um, and it's probably about the size of this microphone. Um, and so they're giving him instructions. So he's cutting wires, and he's supposed to splice uh, two wires together. And there's five, and he's got to splice uh, the green one with one of the other colors. And then what does he say? He says. Um, like red, white, and blue don't fail me now or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I'm counting on you, red, white, and That's blue. That's what he says. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he puts everyone's life on the plane, and he just put, he throws all his eggs in one basket because he's a badass, and obviously he's a good decision maker right. as, as the president, right. and decides to splice the two colors that aren't red, white, and blue. I just thought it was funny, and it just fits in the whole film. Of, uh, oh, whole it's perfect. Of, the film. of course. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, uh, Wolfgang talked, he like talks about in interviews about this movie, he's like, it's funny, like, I'm a German guy that grew up watching American movies, and that's why I connect so much with the subject matter. He's, I've always wanted to make a giant American action movie, so that's, like, why he made this movie. And that's he's really, all that patriotic stuff, he's super into that stuff. I mean, or at least he was when he was making the movie. Right. 
I love in that scene too the phone. It, it, it says low battery. Yeah. It doesn't say no battery or it doesn't die. It just says low battery. Right. We all know now. People didn't have cell phones back then, yeah, really. Yeah. So uh, low battery doesn't mean you, your phone dies. And he just you gives can still talk. He's like, yeah, I'm, okay, I think right, we've all sent battery. a text with 1% before. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my favorite line is right after Gary Oldman executes the national security advisor. He's Who like, is the guy? He, he's the we know you're going to die yeah, as soon as we see you. The moment you see, moment you yeah, see yeah. him in the beginning, you're like, I thought that guy's going to die somehow. Yeah. And he's like, your national security advisor has just been executed. He's an excellent negotiator. Yeah, he's been it. It's just so perfect. Just yeah. cold, heartless. Yeah, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So my so my line is another one that kind of like it's in the same trope as the uh, he flew more helicopter missions than anybody else. It's like crisis situations in these movies. Whenever there's like a terrorist threat or something, again, there's a bunch of old white guys like walking around in suits, and you know they're all pretty much dickheads. And then usually there's like one guy who's like, well. He knows how to fight or something. So right. there's like the young guy with glasses, and he's like, uh, the, the one guy goes, I hate to say this, but uh, the lives of 50 people mean nothing in the context of national security. And the one guy's like, even if one of those lives is the president, and the guy's like, the presidency is about more than just one man. Didn't they teach you that at Yale? <laughs> it's like so good. It's just so good because you're like, there's like, The Rock has the same scene pretty oh, yeah. much. I yeah. mean, most of these movies have that same scene and it's just, I love, I love the cliche beats in movies like this because it doesn't take anything away from my enjoyment. In fact, it enhances it. Oh, yeah. Even though I know it's preposterous and it's cliche and it's laughable, it's like, no, it's better. Like, it's, I'm more compelled by this and stuff like that than I am by most action movies today that take themselves way more seriously. Right, and one of my other favorite lines in the movie is like at the very beginning when he first gets on the plane and, and he's like, don't tell me the score, don't tell me the score. He's yeah. like yelling to everyone and finally one guy walks by, he's like, 1413, Michigan, way to go, <laughs> Mr. President. And then Harrison Ford kind of like stares off coyly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yes, this is 90s, this is perfect. Absolutely incredible. So, okay, so here's something I'm wondering. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of like wondering if we had to rank uh, Harrison Ford as an action movie hero and Gary Oldman as an action movie villain in the sort of all-time pantheon of these characters, where would they be for you guys? I, I'm going to start here because I I really... Okay, so I'm going to start with Oldman because I love Oldman in this movie. I yeah. rank him probably like top 20, top 25. Okay. Like I, at first I put him a little farther away, but then I thought about it more and I'm like, wait, no, what am I talking about? Like I love this villain and yeah. I love his performance. So I'm going to say top 20 to be safe. Okay. But who knows? It can be even move down to top 15. Haggerty? Yeah, with... with- Oldman, I, I was kind of not thinking he was going to be that great or not rank high. But um, when I watched it again recently, he, he's he's just damn good in the film. And yeah. He's crazy. Um, I do dock him a couple points just because I feel like he's channeling um, Stanfield at, in in the professional, right? Um, but right. with the, with the create with you know with more of the terrorist angle. So I, I'd say top thirty with for Oldman. I'm going to jump ahead of you guys and I'm going to say top ten. Top ten. Wow. Now maybe That's we're gonna, maybe we're gonna say number ten, and I, I do like I wish I had like a board that I could like stick the sticker on. Uh, but the reason I say that is because it's kind of the same conversation as like you want to be safe and you don't want to like say just the most recent one you watched is so high. But thinking about great great performances and great villains in these kind of movies, I mean I can't think of even ten right offhand that are just like better. Like I, there aren't ten in my mind where I'm like. Oh yeah, he's better than him. Right. It's I think about Oldman in this and I'm like, you're pretty much right up there. And, right, this I is mean, one of the best. He might end up being like number four. I mean, I, I'm not saying that, but I'm gonna say at least tenth best. He's in my top ten. And jumping to heroes, I mean I really love Harrison Ford in this movie, but like we said earlier, he's not a special hero in in like 
He's got that George Clooney, I'm the smartest guy in the room factor, which is a, that's a hugely important quality for these guys. It's obviously one of our rules. Right. Um, I'm going to say top, like top 75. Like I don't think it really needs to be much higher than that. Yeah, I mean, the guy's already got Han Solo and yeah. Indiana Jones. I'm going to kick him back there in the top 75, top 100 as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's fair. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's good because he's the president. He's like a normal guy, but he's just not badass enough to be anywhere near like the top 20. Like, for the, he does a great job. It's oh, just yeah. that in terms of like memorable, like iconic character, he just doesn't stand out in my memory. You know? You don't think about both of them. It's like when I think about Air Force One and a great performance, like, oh, it's a great movie. Harrison Ford's good. Gary Oldman kills it. Awesome, right? Yeah. So now here's the next question. If this movie were to be remade today, I mean, the first question is, would there be a sequel? I don't think there would be a sequel to this movie. There could be. Air Force Two? Air Force Two. <laughs> it's just about, like, what's happened since then, you know, yeah. with 9-11 and That's all that. We a movie like about, this right? could not be received well. Yeah, you would have to really change the change the context pretty drastically, and I don't think people. I don't think that the actually the idea of our president either being like the George Bush era. I think soured our president on being kind of like a war guy, mm-hmm. and I think that post Bush era. I, I don't know. I think the presidency now. I don't think is sort of movie fodder anymore. Yeah, people just wouldn't be comfortable watching a movie about a plane getting taken over by terrorists with our president on it. I just think yeah. it, it'd be like, yeah, it's just bad this, taste. This kind of came at the end of, of an era of films. Not an era, but a long line of films where you kind of had a generic terrorist versus the U.S. blowing up or, or hijacking something. Um, and you just, they can't really do that anymore after after 9-11. I think a lot of filmmakers won't want to do that anymore. They want, right. they want to do films that are more realistic or that are more historical. So let's start really quickly. If you were going to recast it, let's say they were just going to remake Air Force One today. Let's say we ignore everything we just said, and they were to remake the movie. First and foremost, who would you guys, and we're going to go one at a time, recasting the main characters. First off, Harrison Ford, the president. Who would you choose to play the president, Hanks? You know, i got to go with Liam Neeson, because he's, he's got that, those same qualities. He's kind of like the, the everyday guy. Get off my plane. Um, <laughs> you you want to rip for him? Yeah. Kind of similar accents if he wasn't Irish. Um, and, and, but, he's, but with Liam, and he's kind of done, uh, he's, he's kind of carved out a little niche in his action, um, little action genre. But he, he's also not like the badass, like martial arts fighter. Right. Um, so I think he would fit really well into that role. I'm not leaving without my family. Yeah. <laughs> you just take that from... That was a sound clip from Taken, I think, is what that was. Um, I would cast Mr. Viggo Mortensen. Oh, that's a good one. Aragorn. Yeah, I, I love that. that guy. Yeah, he's kind of not in the limelight right now, either. No, he's not. He's a great actor. He, he, I think he's he can be stoic. He can be presidential. Like, when that guy cleans up... I mean, most people are used to seeing him with long, stringy hair, but when sure. he cleans up, he could definitely pull off president. I think that's pretty good. I actually was going to choose Liam Neeson as well, so... Oh, of course, kinda, right. Yeah. No, I mean, that was my that was my choice. I He just seems like he's the right age. He's the right... He just feels right for that role. Right. Uh, okay, so so the Oldman role, uh, who, who you got? Well, I, I think... Because of the accent and he's such a crazy character, you got to go with with Tom Hardy. I mean, he can just fit into anything. Really, I chose Hardy as well. I actually really. chose Hardy really? as well. <laughs> yeah. Tom yeah. Hardy, on this? there you go. I think we just have man crushes on Tom yeah. Hardy. Tom Hardy's like the best. Oh, he's, he's the best. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, I've heard he's pretty like uh, gruff in person. You know, oh, yeah. kind of like he kind of like he feels uh, when you watch him on screen. And he's brooding and he's angry. He'd yeah. be great at it. Uh, okay, first lady. Uh, That's what we went with. First, this is the third lady or the vice president. I'm sorry, vice president, not uh, the the uh, the Glenn Close. I miss Glenn Close. Glenn Close <laughs> character. Uh, um, I kind of want to go someone a little bit more attractive than Glenn Close. Okay, and uh, I think in Michelle Pfeiffer would be a really hot. Oh, that's a good vice, one, vice president. Yeah, she's good age for it now too. Yeah, she'd be perfect. I went a little older. I went Sigourney Weaver. 
Or maybe uh, she's around the same age, actually. Yeah, but she'd be great. Yeah, she seems like a she's very badass. strong. Yeah. I would have to go for um, Kate Blanchett. Oh, so like very much attractive, very regal, very hot, yeah. <laughs> and an Oscar winner, a multiple, That's a two-time right. Oscar winner. Yeah, and I, and I think that she would do a good job playing that role. Yeah, I mean, I think Kate Blanchett could pretty much play a piece of Any, bacon, and yeah, she'd do a good right, job. She right. can, like, do anything. Yeah. Uh, so now, like, sort of the bonus character, uh, Gibbs. Right. I'm going to choose Tate Donovan. He's, uh... Oh, okay. <laughs> I know he's a little older, but, like, Tate Donovan, he's just... Like, I watched him as on the OC growing up, and he was, like, Marissa's dad. He's like, hey, kiddo. He's just, like, kind of a weasel. Right. I just feel like he could play that really well. Uh, I went for a serious Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. Ooh. Simon Pegg. A serious Simon Pegg. I think they kind of look similar, and I, I love Simon Pegg. Like, I think he could play a serious role, and I think he'd be a good weasel. I'm going to change mine to Will Ferrell. No, just kidding. <laughs> That'd be pretty great, though. Um, I don't think you need to recast it. I think Xander Berkeley, who was perfect in that role, he's played a weasel in so many other uh, other yeah. films. Terminator 2, Heat. <laughs> right. um, he's even in Taken. I mean, he just plays that, that kind of guy you, you love to hate. Um so I think I think you don't need to recast. I think you just do it again. Do you him. think like if you're like working at Whole Foods and he comes up and he's like and he's like, hey, I want to buy this broccolini. And they're like, what's the barcode? And he's like, uh, you know, I left the tag back in the produce section. Do you think you trust him, or do you think you're just like you're gaming me right now, he's like trying to steal this broccolini from yeah, me? Do you think like in any in like any situation in his life, just because you said like he's always kind of looked like that, yeah, he still kind of right. looks like that. Just like pe- people are just like you are full of it, man. You just there's something about you you're just not quite right. It's gonna be tough for him when he goes grocery shopping. Yeah, I don't know. That's all I think about. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys know this, but actually, um, the original casting choice for for well not the casting choice but one of the people that was rumored to be in this film to play the Gary Oldman role was actually Nicolas Cage I did I heard about this because he had just won an Oscar in 19, from, from Leaving Las Vegas in 95 he had The Rock in 96 Con Air and Face Off were both in theaters I mean he was hot at the time so he was uh, he was auditioning for all kinds of stuff and actually I was able to dig up the tape oh yeah it was hard oh. to find yeah, yeah. Uh, there's actually a, a lost audio tape um, do we have can we cue that our uh, no our producer Oh, here we go. State your name for the camera. Uh, Nicholas Cage, reading for the role of Ivan Kroshnov. <laughs> All right, we'll just take it from the top. This is the vice president, to with whom am I speaking? This is the man that controls it. I'm, I'm sorry, can I do that again? <laughs> this is the vice president, to with whom am I speaking? This is the person that controls Air Force One, the world's most secure aircraft. What is it that you want? We'll get to that. I need to know that the first family is safe. The president is safe. He ran from here like a weak dog. I'm sure you can't wait for him to get back and make a decision so you can stop sweating through that silk blouse of yours. Uh, Mr. Cage, we don't want it to sound like you're hitting on the vice president. Who's, who's playing the vice president? Glenn Close. I know Glenn. He's great. Like a simple physics! Without fuel, the plane crashes. Everybody dies. Tell me what I want uh, to uh, Okay. Thank you, Mr. Cage. Wait, I, I can do better. <laughs> that was great. Awesome. <laughs> that was fantastic. I can't believe we found that. I don't even know. How did they not consider him for the role? <laughs> he must have wanted too much money. Yeah, definitely. Because his accent, everything was perfect. Yeah, he was dead on. I mean, he sounded Russian. Oh, and passionate. <laughs> I think he wanted to grow his hair out long so they, they didn't let him do that one. They don't do Con Air instead. Right. 
That's pretty good. That's great. I'm so glad we found that clip. Yeah, me too. That's That was very enjoyable for me as an action movie fan. So the last segment that we kind of want to get into here is, is that when I sort of imagined this show, the idea was that there are three action movie categories. And those categories are... Uh, what did we call them? I can describe them. There was totally ridiculous. Here we yeah. go. Totally ridiculous. So this is movies that are off a cliff of absurdity. Uh, that would be like, I guess, Face Off would be a good example. Like Starship Troopers, something like that. Yeah, totally legitimate. Which are like the that's like the fugitive. That's like the movies that are very much. Uh, kind of seriously awesome and uh, they don't feel super silly and then ridiculously legitimate which would be movies that are sort of the perfect hybrid mm-hmm. of the two categories they're they're a little bit over the top but still like very compelling and awesome the one-liners are juxtaposed against great performances and uh, I think those are sort of the three categories and for my money I would put this in the middle category I would put this in uh, ridiculously legitimate what about you guys? Uh, yeah, totally, man. I think it's the one of the best pinnacle movies of those two categories. Like, the one-liners are in there, the great acting is in there, the action scenes are in there, yeah. but it's just not quite believable enough. Maybe it was the whole plane landing and taking off and then him hanging off the back of the airplane at the end of the sure. movie, but I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. Yeah. Haggerty? No, I, I think you guys are right. It's the same. Um, ridiculously legitimate, is that what we said? Yeah. Ridiculously legitimate. Ridiculously we'll, we'll get more familiar with the categories. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy enough to not... It's too. Far, it's not too far fetched, but it's kind of grounded in reality. Right. So yeah. Right. Right in the middle there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that wraps it up for us today. Uh, that is the that, that was the maiden voyage for uh, action movie anatomy. So uh, thank you so much for coming, Haggerty. We really appreciate you being our guest today. And uh, as always, you guys can you guys can subscribe on YouTube. You can check us out on iTunes. Please give us a solid rating uh, and check back soon for more episodes. Uh, my name is Ben Bateman. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Bateman Media. Andrew? Andrew Guy. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Twitter. And Haggerty? And uh, Matthew Haggerty. And uh, I don't have any Twitter. He doesn't so do that crap. To, you can come look for me. Doesn't do in, it. In life, real life. We'll see you guys next time. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed here are those of the hosts only, not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.